just like you do. Welcome to Lawyers Are Assholes. I'm your host, Brett Adams, a lawyer, I should say a recovering lawyer, who found a platform to address a broken legal system. This is where we call out incompetent and unscrupulous lawyers, prosecutors, and judges. Anyone that touches the legal system, we're coming after you if you're an asshole. Welcome to Lawyers Are Assholes. I'm your host, Brett Adams, and today we're going to have a another special uh, no-guest episode, and I want to explain to you why we are doing that. Now, the last time we did this, I was driving down to the studio with a scheduled guest to appear, and the William Hussle uh, verdict came out about a half hour before that schedule, and we decided to talk about that singularly and got quite a few um, very nice comments about it. And it's not about uh, not being able to schedule guests for the podcast. We, we, uh, we're actually getting uh, calls now uh, from uh, PR agents wanting to actually have their guest, and there's certainly enough guests out there that have been impacted by the legal system, uh, whether it's high profile um, or real life stories like we've um, highlighted on the podcast uh, before. But but we're going to do one uh, today entitled, How Do You Choose Your Lawyer? And let me tell you how this came about. Uh, and it just happened last week. I've, I've had this longtime friend of mine. I've got to protect his identity. Uh, but uh, he had been harassed on the internet, um, it was involved in this business deal. And this other gentleman uh, was coming after him and said some bad things. And uh, my guy uh, sends, um, sends him emails and texts and say, hey, please stop stop texting me, stop, stop harassing me. And it just continued. Uh, my guy says, uh, if you do it again, I'm going to file a police report. The guy did it again, and um, a police report was filed against him. Uh, then this was a, a simple misdemeanor telephone harassment type of case. And so my guy consults with a lawyer uh, whose identity I would reveal if I wasn't uh, beholden to my guy and not uh, mentioning his his name, but he goes and sees this lawyer, and and the lawyer appropriately says, "Well, you know, you really don't have any damages here. The guy said a couple of things, didn't really hurt your reputation. Um, you got to move on with with your life." But but let me walk you through the criminal process. I mean, let me uh, let me uh, be there uh, when this guy comes to his arraignment, and I'm going to charge you fifteen hundred dollars, and and I'm really really giving you a great value because I you know I know that. You probably can't afford much, but but I'm really going to help you at this $1,500 fee. Now, and, and and this is what just outrages me. I just can't even can't even explain the anger when a lawyer takes advantage of a guy like this. There is no need for a lawyer in this situation. There's no need for a civil lawyer. This is a criminal case. the The prosecutors uh, have witness victim assistance. Uh, if there's any questions. Uh, my guy doesn't even have to go to court initially. I mean, he's this the person that that committed the telephone harassment is going to get arraigned and and charged. And if there's a trial, my guy will testify and and he'll be walked uh, through that testimony by the by the prosecutors or the victim assistants. And there's no need for a civil lawyer, but yet this lawyer uh, is is going to show up at court if there's a trial. And there probably won't be uh, because the guy will probably plead out. And and my friend was charged fifteen hundred dollars for nothing. I mean, absolutely for nothing because this lawyer took advantage of the situation, uh, my guy's vulnerability, and he he didn't know if, if whether he needed or didn't need a civil lawyer. 
at this proceeding. So this was the basis to get fired up on on this episode on how to choose a lawyer. And uh, we're going to walk through uh, the different types of, of lawyers, small firm, medium, solo practitioner, big firms, uh, how you get that lawyer. But But let's start with the basic proposition that anybody that walks into a lawyer's office uh, has an inherent conflict. Um, the lawyer has an inherent conflict with the client. Now, what do I mean by that? If your lawyer uh, wants to, let's just give you an example. If you've got a potential claim, uh, an action against a neighbor, uh, no matter what it is, and and you want to uh, consider, uh, go over your legal options or and consider filing a lawsuit, you're so mad that you actually want to file a lawsuit. And so that lawyer advising you, uh, how much work does he have? You know, does he have time uh, to do this case? What kind of advice is he going to give this person? Well, the practical advice in, the, in a simple scenario I'm giving to you is, let's work this out. Maybe let me write a letter. You know, we don't need to go shotgun a lawsuit, file a lawsuit against this guy. And there's some lawyers that, that are going to take the approach I did uh, when I initially practiced, which uh, let's... Uh, let's pick up the phone. Let's call this this person. Uh, if this person has a lawyer, obviously, if the person's represented, you can't talk to the client. But if it was me, I would have gotten on the phone with the lawyer and say, hey, I represent this person. How can we get this resolved? Uh, oftentimes, that doesn't happen. Um, if you've got a lawyer that doesn't have uh, any cases, any practice, going to get you in his office, and he's going to try to take advantage of you and take advantage of you by uh, give me a $5,000 retainer. Um, we, we're going to go sue this guy. Not explaining to you, uh, explaining to the client that, hey, this case may not yield $5,000 in damages, um, but uh, the, the the lawyer makes out. Now, that doesn't happen. I'm giving you an, a, an extreme example of, of just what a potential uh, conflict, but you've always got to think about, does the lawyer have um, the, his or her own interest in mind, or does that lawyer truly have your best interest in mind. And, and, and what we're going to do today, we're going to go through a couple of different scenarios, uh, it, it, domestic lawyers, um, criminal defense lawyers, transactional lawyers, litigation lawyers, and, and how do you pick that lawyer? And, and I'll, I'll tell you some real life stories and some real pitfalls and what to look out for in these kind of situations. So obviously choosing a lawyer, it, it depends on what kind of case you have, what uh, is this something that a solo practitioner can handle? Is it a is it a simple will and trust? Is it a, is it a simple fender bender? Is it is it uh, you know doing a real estate closing? You know what kind of what kind of uh, what what do your facts present and what kind of um, lawyer should you you seek out? And I can just I can tell you from experience I've I've done all three. I started out uh, my practice uh, I was a, a, a lone wolf had very uh, Confident, sometimes too confident, um, but I did this on on my own initially. Uh, then I went, I jumped to uh, to a big firm uh, for a short period of time, and then I had my own uh, thirteen uh, with a couple of partners, thirteen member firm. And if you if and here here's the here's the real the real situation. And at the end of the day, it comes down a lot of times to cost. So if you're a small business person and you have a small business case and there's a dispute, or even a, in, from a transactional standpoint, if you need a, a real estate, you're negotiating a, a, a deal or you're buying a small business, who can do this? Now, in, in my experience, um, there are uh, some business owners with, with egos that they're going to go to the largest law firm in town, thinking that, well, that name and prestige 
means something. And unfortunately, in the legal world, sometimes it does. But let me tell you, I have never uh, been able to, to – uh, now, in this jurisdiction in Columbus, Ohio, uh, the, the big firm uh, here is Voorhees, the, the, the uh, century-old um, uh, Columbus uh, firm. Uh, and I think I just heard uh, somebody told me they were billing um, at uh, 650 bucks an hour for a partner on a on an issue, uh, on a real estate issue, which I didn't believe was a very complicated issue. Now, are you willing to pay that 650 dollars to have uh, to be able to to go to dinner and say, "Boris, represent me in this case," uh, or would you rather go to a 250 dollar an hour lawyer that is as good, if not? Uh, better in that in that same of uh, field. So, I, I have never understood. Uh, I've never understood why certain businesses, other than uh, the the prestige issue, would would pay that kind of pay that kind of money. But but let me tell you, there are so there there are very very competent uh, solo practitioners in in this jurisdiction and around the country that can do. Uh, and handle a, a matter, a litigation uh, matter, uh, as well as a, a big firm lawyer you're paying three times as much for. So uh, I'm a little biased ag- ag- against the law, law, large law firms. I've been there. I've seen it. I've seen how they bill. Uh, and, and this is a and here's an absolute trick of the trade. If you're going to go that direction, even a medium side size firm, um, you get your first bill if you're not experienced in this and you're in a in a litigation or transactional matter. And you see, you go in, you talk to this lawyer, you're comfortable with him. He's a, he's a partner in the law firm. And the next thing you know, uh, you're getting bills from three other lawyers in the firm. You're getting bills from associates. You're getting bills from other partners. And you're saying, you know, what the hell is this? What's going on? And uh, that is how large law firms work. I mean, I, if, if I'm an astute consumer of legal services, uh, and the reality is on a, on a deal, I just had this conversation with my guy today. Um, if you're if you're going to uh, bring in another uh, real estate expert on this real estate matter that I thought you were competent in, I'd like to know about it ahead of time because I, I'm paying you and I'm not paying somebody else to review your work. Now, this might be different if you've got an associate that might not have the experience. You can have a senior partner look at that work. But man, do not get sucked into these sharing um, among uh, partners um, of having three or four attorneys involved in a case that that only one lawyer is necessary. So let's talk about switching gears just for a second about the different areas of, of law. And w- when I first started, I did about everything to get my feet wet. And, and I did uh, a few domestic cases um, starting out in the practice and learned very quickly that that wasn't an area of the law that I wanted to go into. But domestic d- divorce lawyers, um, uh, I, I don't, I hate to say it, I have, I have a lot of friends. I have many friends that are domestic lawyers. I, I want to tend to think that my friends are the honorable guys in the business, but, but man, in what I have seen and, and witnessed, I, I just had two friends uh, go through a modified custody uh, issue uh, and pretty much ended uh, where they started after $60,000 worth of legal fees, um, about $30,000 a piece with lawyers that that ended up getting um, uh, pretty much the same visitation schedule than where it, than where it started because 
and I've said this on previous podcasts, and I'm going to continue. Uh, I'm going to continue to pound on this. Uh, there is no need at almost any level, except high, high complex, um, high net worth uh, divorce cases. We should be using mediators, uh, family mediators that have the experience uh, in dealing with these issues, not lawyers that take advantage of people and and just bill the hell out of them for every conversation uh, that that do not have, frankly, the training. I mean, you're not trained in law school. You take a domestic relations class in law school. You're not talking about family dynamics. You're not. You don't have that background in psychology or sociology or, or any special skill to do this. And I still do not know why we do not have a mediator at at least at the very least at the initial stage of any domestic proceeding. I mean, if you really want to make things ugly, and I've told everybody this my entire life, if 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 you want to fight and argue and 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 walk out of a domestic situation hating each other, uh, get a couple lawyers involved because that's what's going to happen, and the wrong lawyers uh, especially. And I don't want to over him side there. I mean, there are there are some good domestic lawyers that'll pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, uh, especially the ones that'll say, hey, I, I've got a crazy client, um, I, but let me tell you what I can do. If you give me this, I'll give you that and, and resolve it. But uh, again, that's where you have that inherent conflict is does that lawyer want to continue to to run up the fees in this case, or do they want to have a, a resolution? Because domestic cases are so much emotion involved. You're talking about kids. I mean, this is the the most important of legal issues, and the emotions run so high that uh, you want somebody that's trained as a mediator that can sit down with the parties and seek a resolution, as opposed to. Uh, having one lawyer write a letter to the other one saying your client did this, 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 and uh, you know is a bad person, and and uh, you don't want to go that direction ever. And if you can, if you have a civil enough relationship uh, in any domestic case, try to do a, a disillusion. I mean, seriously, with particularly if you don't have kids uh, and you don't have a lot of assets, there isn't any reason that that two um, intelligent people cannot do this themselves. Now, since since it is a podcast uh, identifying uh, asshole lawyers or bad lawyers, let me really get excited about defense lawyers. And I'm not talking about criminal defense lawyers. We're going to talk about those because uh, those are the the godlike lawyers in the profession. But I'm talking about civil defense lawyers. I'm talking about these lawyers that work for insurance companies that do nothing but uh, try to limit the amount of your compensation or throw up roadblocks or throw up technical defenses, any way to try to screw you um, to look good for the insurance companies. These these guys are the bastards of the legal industry. Um, and I'm going to give you some, some great real-life examples. Uh, but think about, uh, uh, and again, a little caveat about frivolous claims. I mean, I have no problem in, in defense lawyers going after bad PI lawyers that, that file crap cases or, or try to pursue a claim where there's no merit. But, but when these defense lawyers uh, come in and do nothing but look out for their fees, because I've had so many cases, personal cases in my lifetime, where the, by the time the defense lawyer, uh, and I've had it said to me, well, let me, you know, let me do a couple depositions to 
feel out what the merits are of the case. Well, these defense lawyers want to do two days worth of deposition so they can bill hours when it's not when it's not necessary. I mean, an example of a a straight up a guy runs a red light. There's there's five witnesses. There's no question of liability. The person um, misses uh, a month's worth of work. Uh, has twenty thousand dollars worth of legal bills. Um, the insurance company offers them twenty five thousand dollars, and you got to pay your 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 medical bills back. Now th- those are the those are the cases where like uh, let this let this lawyer let this defense lawyer uh, go go run up and take these depositions spend fifty thousand dollars in defending a case where had you given half of that money three quarters of that money all of that money back to the person that was injured then that's a more fair resolution but but these lawyers in so many cases um, run up the clock and uh, and, and and as with any lawyer, it just seems in my experience that they seem to uh, uh, jive and lie uh, more than than the typical lawyer. And, and a real real life example example is that my uh, brother in law at a young age was killed in a in a uh, an accident, a truck accident, and uh, I was actually in law school at the time, uh, still learning the ropes. Uh, had had uh, Paul Scott, uh, very renowned, just the, one of the best lawyers uh, that I've ever known or dealt with in my life uh, representing my sister. And it was a wrongful death case. He's, he's dead. And liability is clear. You know, what are the damages? Because, you know, he was 20 years old. What are the damages? Well, he's got a long life ahead of him. Y- you, you probably should make an offer that should reflect the value of his life and what happened. Uh, instead, we had these defense lawyers interject this is unbelievable. This happened at at the trial. Uh, the inference that uh, my sister was unfaithful uh, with zero evidence, uh, but only to dissuade the jury. I mean, I've never. I, I've and again, it's a little bit personal, but I've never in my entire life had that low of a blow. And I've had a lot of low blows uh, come at you in in this in this profession. But that stuck with me forever. I've I've been jaded. Ever since then, about uh, defense lawyers that do that won't do the right thing. But again, it's also a crappy practice too, because you know there there's there are young lawyers that go in there and and uh, they're constantly on the other side of of trying to uh, limit uh, the amount of compensation that somebody should should fairly get. But but even on a bigger scale, I mean, you talk about I just could never morally intellectually ever represent a tobacco company. And I mean, how many millions and millions and millions of dollars were made by these large defense lawyers, most likely, or most um, uh, most of them in the South, and, and because that's where the jurisdiction was. But could you imagine knowing that smoking kills you, but yet you're in there uh, every day defending uh, the right of, of that company to, to sell products that are killing people. Uh, now, legally you can do that, but just think about just think about the fact that if lawyers would take a moral stand and not defend bad companies for bad behavior, how much better would we be for a society if we had a lawyer on the other side of that said, "Hey, you know, my client, they screwed up. They really screwed up. Now, how do we how do we fix this? Let's let's figure out how to fix this instead of, you know, it's almost like the 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 episode on the class action we talked about and taking 90 depositions when Three or four depositions is going to get you the information that you need or the facts that you need. So, I could do five episodes on 
on defense lawyers, um, but we got to move on. Let's talk about litigation uh, lawyers for a couple minutes. Uh, the the real litigators, the the, the guys that that are in the courtroom uh, day in and day out. That's a difficult job. I mean, that's a very very stressful stressful job to do it the right way. Um, you know, you're you're up against lawyers that that have the same uh, experience that you do if you're if you're doing this all the time and and it's an intellectual uh, match again um, you know you, you got the good guys and the and the bad guys in terms of the facts and who you're representing but I've always found in my in my practice that the the solo guys the solo practitioner litigator that does it every day uh, and that's what they do are just as effective as as more expensive lawyers in large firms and again you come back to in the large firm setting, um, you know, how many lawyers do you want to throw at a piece of litigation? I mean, how much money do you really want to spend in defending the case? The same thing goes with the transactional um, lawyers. Can can a guy billing you $195 an hour do the same work as the $400 an hour lawyer? I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm absolutely telling you, the answer is yes. And uh, especially uh, with run-of-the-mill Real estate transactions, or buying or selling a small in a small business, but but in my in my experience, in my opinion, I will tell you that of all the all of the lawyer uh, uh, areas of expertise, the lawyers that I have learned to respect, and I did a little. This is how I got into my sports practice. Is is uh, I did criminal law when I started. I wanted to I wanted to be an F. Lee Bailey. I wanted to help people that were getting screwed by the by the system until I fell into the sports law and I fell into my sports practice by by representing players at the Ohio State University. I my my first sports related criminal case was I represented three all American wrestlers at Ohio State that stole some street line, uh, street signs from Upper Arlington. For those in, uh, not uh, here, it's a nice suburb of of Columbus, and they take stealing street signs pretty seriously in Upper Arlington. In fact, charged them with felonies. So then I was exposed to uh, the wrestling coach, the other wrestlers, um, and that's how I got my my feet wet in the in the criminal uh, practice uh, initially. Then I had that reputation of of being the sports guy to go to on the criminal side. Um, represented a, a couple of basketball players that got that were accused of of child enticement again, and again all these were. Uh, uh, they were they were jokes. I mean, we 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 had a guy that uh, that was in his car running around campus and and said to uh, a car full of guys and said, "Hey, little girl, you wanted some candy?" And it told this wasn't a, a, a sexual assault or it was a dumb, stupid mistake. So I learned very quickly, really, how difficult that this practice was. Not that I was unwilling to to do it. I I liked it. I really enjoyed it. I. I love doing it, but but these uh, these cases they are high they're high pressure, and I uh, would have stayed with it had I not uh, had had the opportunities I did in the uh, in the sports world. But uh, you know, here in, in in Columbus, Ohio, I mean, you've got uh, a core a group of of top flight criminal defense uh, lawyers: uh, Sam Shemansky, uh, Brad Koffel, Steve Palmer. These guys are the guys that you go to. If you're uh, if you're looking at a serious criminal case, um, and I know how hard these guys work, I know what, what the pressure is. But but you have to realize 
uh, listeners that the odds are stacked against you in all of these criminal filings. I mean, uh, the state has, uh, especially at the federal level, I mean, the resources that they have uh, against you are just, I mean, in terms of experts and, and investigators. And uh, I mean, they just have uh, so much more of the manpower going up against against the state. And I think everybody knows it's listening to this podcast, how I feel about prosecutors. And especially when prosecutors uh, are not always truthful or, or uh, shade or uh, attempt to um, uh, hide uh, evidence or not tell you what all the facts are, but the real lawyers, and, I, and I've always uh, called the real lawyers, uh, were the criminal defense lawyers that are up against odds um, every day against them in, in trying to fight the state. In summation, when you're, when you're out there trying to find a lawyer, uh, I, I, let me tell you the, the best way, the absolute best way is to talk to, well, let me give you two examples. One, if, if, if you know a lawyer as a friend that's done some, uh, done a traffic case for you, uh, that lawyer is going to know in the legal community who the best domestic lawyer is. Those, those lawyers, if you have an existing relationship with that lawyer, uh, we all know. Uh, we all know who the good lawyers are. We all know who the bad lawyers are. We know, we know who overcharges you, who's the lazy asses, um, who has a relationship with a particular uh, judge. Um, we all know that. It's practicing day in and day out. But, but that lawyer can be uh, really the best source of, of an accurate referral. But if you don't know a lawyer, there is, there is no reason that, just like any other process, that you can't go to friends or family uh, and get those same kind of referrals. But always, always get two or three names. I mean, you're not married to the first lawyer that you're talking to. Again, all these conversations are confidential. They can't go um, spill your 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 uh, anything that you say to them to anybody else. So it's confidential. You can have those conversations. But the 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 biggest element here in you got to trust this lawyer. Um, you got to trust him or her um, that that they're gonna they're gonna be on your side. That they're gonna put your interest first. Um, and you you really got to do some investigation on on who you're choosing, why, and in what particular case. But and let's again, let's go back to you know, do do you need a solo practitioner, a mid firm lawyer, or a large firm? Lawyer? I mean, it all depends depends on the particular facts. Um, most people are, uh, fortunately, are never going to have a need for uh, complex uh, litigation or the need for a large, expensive $650 an hour law firm when um, a local practitioner or a solo practitioner can take care of that need. Now, let's never underestimate or overestimate when you're talking to a lawyer, that lawyer's relationship with the local jurisdiction or with that judge. Because I am telling you uh, from experience, it gets so personal if if the judge, uh, if you're especially if you're in a small town. I mean, you're in a you're you're in a, a county, uh, and and this is a, happens across the United States of America. But there are many counties, uh, including here in Ohio, that has one judge that handles um, uh, common pleas in common pleas court that handles everything from domestic to civil to to criminal. And um, you don't necessarily, uh, and that's really tough about this practice, is that you don't want to particularly alienate that judge. But 
if you have uh, a lawyer that doesn't have uh, at least a working relationship, you may not like him because actually the truth is most most lawyers in those situations don't like the judge personally. But you have to determine uh, if that negativity or that negative relationship might hurt your case. And, and I honestly, in my career, I have seen it. I have seen it. I walked into, and it also works in the other direction. Um, and uh, I, I, I remember this case. It was a court appeals case that I was arguing. And, and I, I know he doesn't care if I, he's a good buddy. Bob Hall was on the other side and just representing a piece of shit. And when I walked into the appeals court and and Bob was they had a, some hand signaling, uh, not nothing nefarious, nothing nefarious at all. In fact, I was a very honorable guy. I'm not implying that at all. But what I'm saying is that that particular court of appeals judge, uh, those two were were buddies. They were they were drinking buddies. This was a tough, close case. Uh, who do you think in that situation is going to get the benefit of the doubt? Who? I mean, it's just it's it's human nature. And I could have been on the other side of that. So, uh, and I've been on the other side of that in in those relationships. But when you're interviewing, when you're talking to that person, you know, get a real feel of what kind of relationship that lawyer has, what kind of reputation that that lawyer has in that courtroom so that you're not uh, negatively impacted by it. And, and in many cases, you can be positively uh, impacted by it. But anyway, folks, the, the real issue here is in any of these situations is knowing what you're dealing with, knowing your lawyer, being able to trust that lawyer, uh, being able to ask that lawyer tough questions. If, you, if, if you're getting a bill you don't understand or you're getting a, a bill you think that's too aggressive, then, then talk it out. I mean, sit down and, and have that conversation before that, that relationship would ever, ever turn negative. But it's all about confidence, having confidence in, in, in your lawyer. So anyway, I hope a little bit of this uh, practical advice was was helpful today. And, and uh, as always, thanks so much for listening to Lawyers Are Assholes. I appreciate everybody tuning in, really having fun doing this thing. Um, you know, we're getting some real uh, attention. As I said earlier, we've got PR agents now uh, soliciting us to, to have uh, clients, uh, to their clients to come on the show. And um, I hope to continue what we're doing and, and, and giving some good information and having some real impacts. Thank you very much. Jeez.